Well, today we're wrapping up our series, Overcome. And we were looking at these moments when Jesus was alive after he'd been crucified and interacting with some of his key followers. And it was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. And today, as Tamara mentioned, we're looking at overcoming failure. If we're honest, all of us have at some point in our life failed. Maybe there's areas of your life you feel like a failure right now. But I want to tell you two different stories of different people and how they responded so differently. And the first is Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' followers, and if you read through the scriptures, the story of Peter, you can see he's brash, he's impetuous, he's zealous, he's the kind of person who shoots first and aims later. He's the kind of guy who just seemed to talk before he thought things through. And he was a fisherman, and the first time he met Jesus, there was this miraculous experience where he was in a place where they would fish and had not had any luck. Jesus ended up using their boat to teach, and he saw all of this, and then afterwards, after an unsuccessful night of fishing, Jesus said, Peter, let's go fish. And he tried to warn him, hey, I didn't catch anything last night, which is pretty remarkable, a fisherman being honest. But... They go out in the boat and they catch more fish than the nets could even handle. And whatever interactions Peter had had before with Jesus, this was enough for him to drop everything and follow him, believing he might be the Messiah. But he kept doing dumb stuff all throughout the scriptures. Peter trusted Jesus. He was the one that got out there and walked on the water until he started sinking. He had the faith to step out, but he didn't have the faith to stay up. And he was, at one point, overheard Jesus talking about this coming arrest and betrayal and even crucifixion, and he pulled Jesus aside and told him, I will never let this happen. And we think, this guy's brash, but how many times do we tell God he's wrong? That what we want is what is actually best. Well, Jesus tried to help Peter see things more clearly. This is when he said to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You are trying to make me stumble. You do not have the interest of God in mind, only your own interest. Now, I don't know, what's the worst thing anyone's ever called you? <laughs> when Jesus looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan, you're obviously somehow gotten off track. Well, Peter continued to just do foolish things. He would argue with the other 12 about who would have the greatest position in this new kingdom. On the night he was betrayed, he fell asleep while Jesus was praying. And then later, after he was arrested, Peter was the one that pulled out a sword and started swinging. But he was a fisherman, not a swordsman. So instead of cutting off one of the guys arresting Jesus' head, he cut off their ear. And once again, Jesus rebuked him. Peter had sworn to Jesus at Passover during the Last Supper that there was one way that he would never fail Jesus, that he would never disown Jesus, he would never deny him. But on the night that Jesus was arrested and taken away from his disciples, Peter followed after. And at one point, he was hiding in the shadows in the middle of a courtyard there were soldiers and a crowd standing there, but not wanting to be seen, he stayed in the shadows until the cold 
came to be too much, and so he made his way towards the charcoal fire in the middle of the courtyard. When a girl pointed at him and said, hey, aren't you one of the men with Jesus? And immediately he denied it. Another girl passing by said, wait, no, this guy, he was with Jesus. And he says, no, I don't even know who you're talking about. Pressure mounted as another accused. You must be a follower of the Galilean. You have an accent. You sound like a redneck Galilean. And Peter begins to curse. I swear, I don't know the man. And in that moment, a rooster crowed an indication that Jesus had warned him he was vulnerable towards failing in this very way. And there was another follower of Jesus who failed as well on that night. His name was Judas. Judas had been following Jesus and had even been entrusted with more than Peter. He had become a treasurer. And yet we know that he was stealing from the money given to support Jesus and his followers. He, like Peter, thought he knew what was best for Jesus. He was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and he was going to have a military rule and become a nationalistic king, overthrowing the Roman government. And so Jesus wasn't moving fast enough, so to expedite this move towards overthrow, he betrayed Jesus, thinking it would be in that moment that, that Jesus would finally rise up and overthrow the Roman government. But instead, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, allowed himself to be crucified. See, the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter started over again and again, eventually becoming the rock which is what his name meant. See, when he met Jesus, his name was Simon, and Jesus looked at him and saw something more in him than he saw in himself, and he referred to him as the rock. The first rock. <laughs> Not the wrestler. But Judas stayed stuck, overwhelmed with shame, and eventually killed himself over his failure. Now see, all of us, fail. All of us at times in our life will get stuck. And the question is not whether will we fail, but how will we respond to that failure? See, there's two ways that, that we will remain stuck. First is if we get stuck in denial. Denial, those are the ones of us that say, who, me, fail? I have never failed. Ask the person you came with today if you aren't able to remember any failures. But see, we stay stuck when we can't admit that we've messed up. If we can't admit to God that we sin and stumble and fail in many ways, then we can't receive the grace that he offers. See, this was the issue of the religious leaders in the scriptures. The Pharisees, they were legalistic in their religious zeal, but they masked how their hearts actually felt. They were not loving God or loving people. See, if pride won't let us admit our need for God's forgiveness and leadership to change and to grow from our failures, then we're stuck. When we pretend we have no problems, when we put on a mask of perfection or we become defensive, we can't move forward. Some of us are religious. We're stuck, too, if we're honest. We do all the right things on paper. We go through all the right motions. 
We're basically good people on the outside, but we may have lost that first love that we had for God, that radical willingness to trust Jesus in everything. We've lost that sense of adventure and relationship. Instead, we've replaced it with what's most comfortable, a routine that's safe, that's predictable, where we think we are in control. But see, God never calls us to stay comfortable, but to become more and more like him, to share our faith, to learn to forgive even people that have hurt us, to serve with our gifts, to lead others, to cross cultures, to to love those we don't love. So if you feel like you're doing good, then great. But have you failed to let God stretch and grow your spiritual muscles? If you're stuck in denial, the pathway out is being honest, being willing to trust God in every way. That was Peter. I will never deny you until he did. But then there's also shame. Shame can also keep us stuck. It's one of the other ways that that keeps us from moving forward. And some of us are very aware, aware of our moral or spiritual failings, and we feel bad about it. In fact, we feel so bad, we've decided that God cannot extend his grace to us. We believe we failed too badly. We've gone beyond God's ability to help us, and we bathe in our pity and our guilt. We decide to keep punishing ourselves, and we won't take God up on his offer of forgiveness and grace. See, but the problem with that is, it's as if we think our word and our opinion is more true and greater than what God says. If God says he will forgive, then who are we to say, no, you won't? God offers his love and his grace, whether we realize it, believe it, or receive it. God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. But both denial and shame are sins of pride. See, denial is saying, I'm too good to do wrong. I'm the judge of what is right and wrong, not God, but shame is also a sin of pride, saying, I'm too bad for God to help me. I'm the special one that even God cannot rescue. See, in both cases, it's all about me. That's pride. See, now some of us are, don't fit in either one of those categories. We, we've been following after Jesus, and, and here's the thing that's really remarkable. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize how much more you have to grow. When you are comparing yourself to the the one who lived a perfect life, you can end up being a bit discouraged. But see, even those of us who are sincerely following after Jesus, if we're honest, there are areas of our life that we may have given up on. We may have thought, you know what, this is just who I will always be. I've shared this before, but I I think even last week maybe, that I, I mentioned that as a Bryant, a man, you know, I grew up thinking that this is just how we are. We're just angry people. I had believed the lie that I could not change. And I'm telling you, the closer I've gotten to Jesus, the more I realize how far he's brought me and how much more I have to go. When we realize that there's something missing, we're now in a position for God to do something new in our life. But maybe you're here and you don't know how to move forward. You want to, but you're struggling to figure out how. What we do when we realize that we have failed spiritually will determine the type of person we become. And here's the first way that helps us move, is stop looking at ourselves through our own 
perspective, but begin to see the way God sees. See, God looks at you and me so differently than we do. Let me, let me give you an example. Say there's a 15-year-old kid in your neighborhood, and you know there's a lot of shouting and yelling in his home, and you see him one day as you're walking your dog, running out of the house, and he jumps into his parents' car. He does not have a license. And as he starts up the car and backs out and starts driving towards you and your dog, and as he's coming, you're thinking, what is happening here? He can, he can barely see over the dashboard. And as he's tearing away from his home, he loses control and plows into your car. Now, you have one of three different options. You can go up to him and exact justice. You remind him, kid, what have you done? You've messed up. I'm going to call the police immediately, and they will take you away and you will not get your license until at least you're 18 and you're going to pay for everything that you've damaged now this is completely acceptable this is an act of justice the, in Ephesians chapter 2 it says that that God gives us what we deserve what we've asked for in many ways Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. See, in this case, death means separation. The, this instance is talking about spiritual death, that we're separated from God, the source of life and everything good, because of the decisions that we make. Spiritual death is just, is just. it's payment we would deserve for the rebellion we have shown against our Creator. He doesn't force us into a relationship with him. He doesn't make us do the right thing or choose him. He allows us to experience the consequences of our choices. But there's a second option with this kid. It's called mercy. Mercy, you run up to the kid, you make sure he's okay, and you say to him, I know things are going hard for you at home. But you know what? Instead of calling the police, I'm going to call your parents and together... I'll let you guys come up with a plan to, to figure out how to pay for all this damage. See, in your mind, you're, you're, you're doing something nicer than, than what he deserves by involving his parents. It's, it's extending mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 talks about God's mercy, which says this, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. See, God is so rich in mercy. What he was doing that first Easter was making it possible to give us something we did not deserve, spiritual life in the place of death. But there's a crazier third option. You run up, make sure the kid's okay. And you explain to him, I know things are tough for you right now. And I know you didn't mean to do what you just did. But you really messed up my Plymouth Turismo. <laughs> and so, you know what? I don't want to call the police right now. And, and frankly, I can tell you're trying to get away from your parents. We've known each other a long time. I don't think your parents would mind. Why don't we go get a Slurpee? And you can tell me what's going on. And maybe I can help you navigate this with your parents. Now that's risky. 
I mean, that kid might say all the right things, drink the Slurpee, and drive and hit your minivan the next time. <laughs> See, grace is risky. Because it, it could mean that this kid never learns from his mistake. He could even hit someone else's car or even take someone else's life if he got in that car again. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. See, grace is giving someone something they totally did not deserve for their failure. It's risky. And God takes a risk on us. Grace is the reason that God sees our failures differently than, than we do. Grace, God's grace can't even be compared to a token of grace that we might offer each other. See, God takes the burden of payment for our mistakes on himself and instead turns our failures into opportunities to grow. But it happens in the context of a relationship with God. See, a relationship with God by grace, trusting in him, changes us. James 3.2 says this, we all stumble in many ways. But through the eyes of grace, there's always a way forward. Getting unstuck is not ever about you or me. It's about the grace of God. Again, Ephesians 2.8.9, for it is by grace, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So you don't earn a gift. You just receive it or reject it. So I need to ask you today, have you received the grace of God? Have you allowed him to forgive you? Have you begun to see yourself the way he sees you? See, that's why we mark today with baptism. It's an outward symbol of the inward reality that you've said yes to God's forgiveness. You've said yes to relationship with Jesus, letting him lead you. See, God is betting that his relationship can so touch your heart and your soul that it actually transforms you from a denier into the rock. See, the second way is to realize that failure is not a description of who you are. Failure is actually a description of something that happened. See, the only way that you can fail in God's eyes is by not letting God forgive you and grow you from your failures. Failure does not define you unless you let failure stop you. Some of us have defined ourselves from our worst moment. We've not looked through God's eyes and we've actually put that label on ourselves. when that is not how God sees you. God wants to make us into a work of art as we daily follow him. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, he sees you as someone worth dying for, someone worth transforming. And as we live in that grace, rather than getting sucked into self-absorption, we can become motivated to let him change us motivated to help others find faith. See, here's what ended up happening to Peter. He eventually rejoined the disciples, even though that night was so terrible. But I can't help but think he felt disqualified. I mean, at this point, Jesus had reappeared, but not to him, but to the women that were following after Jesus. 
And eventually he did see Jesus. But underneath, I can't help but think there was a, a sense that he's been disqualified, that it was too late. And so Peter was out fishing again with some of his buddies. And they hear a voice from the shore call out, Hey, boys, haven't caught anything, have you? It's a little bit of a sting to that question. No, what's your point? And then they hear the voice say, put down your net on the right side of the boat. And they do. And soon the nets are so full that they can't lift them. It was in that moment their hearts began to pound and they remembered and recognized that voice. This was the exact same experience that Peter had had all those years ago with Jesus. They began to realize this is Jesus. And of course, Peter brash and zealous as he is, is the first out of the boat, doesn't even help them pull the fish in. And he starts running to the shore. And there is a charcoal fire. Just like the fire that he was standing near where he denied Jesus. I wonder if even the smell of the charcoal brought back those terrible memories of that night he denied Jesus. But it was in that moment, after sharing a meal with Jesus, that Jesus looked at Peter and asked the question, John 21, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And, And again, Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. Jesus is asking the question of us today. Do you love me? He's not asking, are you sorry for what you did? Do you promise you'll never do it again? Are you, are you gonna try harder next time? His question is more about relationship. It's not a courtroom examination. It's the question, do you love me? It's a question a, a, a father would ask a son, a spouse would ask. It's a relational question of grace. There was a, a promising young executive at IBM involved in this risky venture for the company, which ended up losing $10 million in the gamble. He was called into the office of Tom Watson Sr., the founder of IBM, and a, the legend who led it for 40 years. And the junior executive was overwhelmed with guilt and fear as he walked into his boss's office. And he blurted out, I guess you've called me in for my resignation. I resign. And Watson replied, You must be joking. I just invested $10 million educating you. I can't afford your resignation. (laughs) See, Peter had a moment with Jesus where Jesus would not accept his resignation. It was as if he was saying, Peter, I've invested in you for so long. I can't afford you to quit right now. Do you love me? Then get back in the game. Use the gifts I've given to you to serve and develop people. Now, it's interesting, maybe you've heard this before, but it's hard to capture this in English, but in the original language, 
Jesus is actually asking, do you agape me? It's a kind of love that's unconditional. Do you have unconditional love for me? And Peter's response is, yes, I phileo you. I have a brotherly love for you. He knows that he's falling short even in loving Jesus. But three times Peter denied Jesus and three times Jesus lets Peter reaffirm his love. I shared this story last summer, but I had a chance to be on that beach. I'm going to show you a picture of it. And we know that's the beach because that's where the fishermen still to this day gather. There's algae there and all the fish come. And show the next picture. Of course, that's the rock. We think it happened. This meal happened and they built a church over that rock and the rock goes all the way into the church. But I want you to think about the ways you may have failed. It's in those moments of failure that God can actually look at you with grace and kindness and give you another start, something to learn from. See, Simon Peter had spiritually failed many times. He had not sounded like the rock, the nickname he was given. But do you know, after this moment with Jesus, for the next 30 years or so, Peter became a mighty force for change, leading Christ's church, doing great things for God. Peter's failure didn't keep him stuck. Instead, he did become the person that God intended. He learned from his failures, which is the third thing that's important. Failure can be an opportunity to grow. You know, this past week, I, I had a chance to travel with our leadership team to Haiti, and I was with John Burke, our senior pastor, and I've just learned so much from him in these seven years. And, and something happened a couple weeks ago. If you were here, you may have heard. He, he, he hadn't slept very much, and he was trying to make a joke about aliens from Mars, and it just came out all clumsy and clunky. And, and he messed up. It sounded worse than what he intended. And several people came up to him afterwards. And, and you know, there's different ways you can respond. You could explain, I didn't mean it that way. And you could get defensive. But you know, in the midst of that, he just said he was sorry. And he explained to me this week, as hard as it was to, to hurt, know he's hurt people in a way he did not intend by this goofy joke, he felt like it gave him a chance not only to learn but to connect with people who have felt marginalized in our culture. And if that's you, if you've felt marginalized, I want you to know that this is a community where we see you, we hear you, and, and we may not have all the answers, but there are things in motion to help us be better about serving those who feel disconnected and marginalized. That this is a community that genuinely means come as you are. See, when we've failed, we can ask God to turn that failure into a moment of great victory that actually not only brings healing to our heart, that can bring healing to the hearts of others around us. Do you see yourself through your failure or through God's eyes? Jesus is asking, do you love me? Can you hear him asking that today? Is there something burning in your soul when you hear that question? Or is there something holding you back from fully trusting him? Are you hiding or running from God about something in your life? Do you keep going your own way instead of trusting him? Are you willing to say, yes, I love you. I will follow you wherever you call me to go. See, maybe you're someone who follows Jesus, but you've gotten distracted, maybe busy with good things, or maybe in genuinely self-centered pursuit 
Jesus is saying the same thing. Do you love me? If that's you, just step back in. Get back in the game. Get involved. See, Jesus said, I'm among you as the one who serves. Those who follow Jesus serve. And, and maybe it's time for you to step into community by serving others with others. Right after baptisms, we have starting gate right over here. A great way to exercise those muscles of loving God and loving others. Hebrews 5.12 says this. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Maybe that's some of us here. If you've been walking with Jesus for, for more than five years, but you're not investing in others spiritually, then I want to encourage you to, to step into community, maybe even step into a life group and learn how to feed God's sheep. See, last fall we did a survey, and it was fascinating what you told us. You know, coming every once in a while on a Sunday, definitely the indicated, you indicated there was spiritual growth that happened. But do you know that exponentially, the numbers increased by about 60%. Those who said, yes, I'm now serving others with others. And those who said, yes, I'm now in a life group. Their rate of spiritual growth, according to what you told us, is exponential to those who just come every once in a while. See, your relationship with God is just like any other relationship. You get out of it what you're willing to put into it. And so what I want you to do this morning is I want you to consider what is God wanting of you? What is he asking you to do? How is he wanting you to follow him and trust him? Are there things that you have felt that you could never get past? Failures in your own life, failures of other people. God can help you move past the worst moments of your life. And so during this song, I want you to consider that Jesus is still alive he didn't just show up for 40 days before he ascended. He actually appeared to Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, which we read from. Maybe you know the story of Jaya, our partner in India, who had a vision of Jesus before he'd ever heard his name. Being in Haiti this week and living in Austin, I can tell you Jesus is alive in Haiti. I've met people whose lives have been changed when they trusted him. Living in Austin, we saw a couple from Costa Rica who moved here and have grown in their relationship with God. Jesus is alive. Are you willing to trust him and follow him?